Okay. Can you read that at the bottom? The end is near. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? How many have ever seen someone? Now, I was looking for a graphic with someone wearing a sandwich board. You know how people used to do that? Their head would be through and they'd be wearing a board. How many ever saw somebody doing that with some kind of a, of a message, some kind of proclamation of the gospel? How many ever saw someone holding a sign that actually said, the end is near? Yeah, it isn't quite so common anymore like it used to be. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? I think it depends who's asking. <laughs> And, you know, where things are at. There used to be a lot more people doing this. And I think typically the, the, the thought was repent. The end is coming. Repent. You better turn back. Um, I don't know how effective that would be today. Because in our day, I would, I would say the effectiveness might be limited because so many people are so, and I don't mean this as a wholesale critique of our culture, but so many people are biblically illiterate. They don't know what the Bible states. And so I don't know that that would, you know, really uh, trigger the same response that it would have even when I was a kid or a hundred years ago. Um, so many people really don't know what that might mean. This kind of phrase, though, um, has meaning to people who know Christ because we believe that it does. Now, I guess it could be still effective to people on the street because it might start a conversation. What does that mean? If somebody asked, is that a good thing or a bad thing? That might be a good conversation starter, amen? You might be able to launch into something. So, um, But tonight, let's read First Peter Chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. The, thank you for keeping it with that graphic on. <laughs> I hadn't envisioned that. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We, we had a couple of weeks in a row of uh, teaching about praise um, a couple weeks ago. That last phrase, um, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. That's called a doxology, which means a a, a short hymn or proclamation of praise. That's just one of those things that in the middle of writing his letter, Peter takes a moment to just give glory to God, to just say he deserves the praise. Amen. So 
A little context. Jesus suffered in his human body. I'm going back to the first six verses of this chapter. We're not going to read it all, but I want to give a little context. Jesus suffered in his human body, it says, in order to win forgiveness for us and new life in relationship with God, eternal life with him. Now, Peter appeals to his followers, to the followers of Jesus, as he's writing here. He appeals to them to arm themselves with the same mindset that Christ had. It says this, Since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mindset, the same attitude, the same purpose. New American Standard says, arm yourselves with it. Gird yourself up. Get that, get that prepared. Arm yourselves with that mindset. We too will experience suffering in this life where sin is still the norm. We know that, right? We'll, we're going to experience some suffering in this life because sin is still the norm. So now, just tell someone around you, I just know this is going to be really encouraging. You know that suffering is part of the package, right? I heard someone say on a Zoom call on Tuesday in a board meeting, an older, uh, he's a lawyer, retired lawyer in Calgary, and he said that a young man who had come to Christ fell away. And when he talked to him about why he wasn't walking with Christ anymore, he said, I was told when I came to Christ that Jesus would solve all my problems. And I would say, well, that's true, but if you thought it meant he'll solve all your problems in the here and now and you won't have any more, as this lawyer said to him, you were told a false gospel. That's just not the, the Bible. It, do, do a study. Read the New Testament and look at how many places it talks about suffering. Um, again, tell somebody, this is so encouraging. <laughs> I just love it when Pastor John speaks. Let's get Kirk back. <laughs> we want somebody else. Anyway, that's not the, the main thing. But here, Peter is writing, and, he, and this guy has experienced some. At the time he's writing this, his reason for writing this letter, and it was to the believers in the area near Rome, and he was writing because they were experiencing a severe persecution. They were suffering. And he's writing to them and saying, Christ suffered. Arm yourselves with the mindset that it's going to happen to me too. Don't be fooled by a false gospel that says, life with Jesus is just a party. There will be a big party. And I'm looking forward to it. But the fullness of it won't be till we cross over, till we cross over the threshold and we stand in his presence. Okay. It is good news and encouragement, he says, he writes to these people. Verses 1 and 2 say, Whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, yea, so as to live the rest of their earthly lives 
for the will of God. That is good news. You'll suffer, but it says the one who suffered has ceased from sin. It's like it's, there's a, a breaking of the power of sin in our lives, and we'll have to even, you know, we'll have to pay to get through there. There will be some suffering. And he says, but people who are doing it are now in their earthly lives living for the will of God rather than for evil desires and lusts that are common in this world. They're common in this world. So claim the promise for yourself. He says here, you live the rest of your time no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. I claim the promise. Amen? We can do it. The promises are for us. And we live for God's will, he says, having lived more than enough as slaves to lust, to evil desires, to every worldly desire and pursuit and excess. I had 23 and three-quarter years before I came to Christ. And I was drinking my fill of the lusts of the flesh and all kinds of evil desires. In this life, it was all about me. All about satisfying me. This selfish, me-centered, rebellious. The word that gets used in here is debauched lifestyle. Now, I don't mean to go after all of that again. This is just the context. But to point out this contrast, here's all of this stuff. Peter sees it. It was, it's amazing. We think, oh, we have such a rebellious generation, so much. Well, here's Peter talking about the same things 2,000 years ago. This guy growing up you know, in Galilee, and he experienced the same kinds of things. Then he points out in verse 4 how the world hates to lose their own. He says, they'll speak abusively of people who refuse to continue pursuing worldly values or the lack of values. He says, they hate to lose their own. They'll malign you. Somebody told me, somebody told some of us this on Thursday night, that someone kind of went after them because they're not running with them anymore. They're not pursuing those things. And people don't really like it. You think you're better than us. You think you're better than me because you're not doing this anymore. Well, okay, I can take that. I'm pursuing him. I'm not going to take part in that stuff just to appease your, your desire, your insecurity. But, verse 5 says, they will give an account to him as we all will. They will give an account. They speak abusively about those who don't continue to pursue worldly lusts. And it says, but they will give an account to him, it says, who is ready to judge Now, I know in this hour we're living in, and you know it too, the word judge is worse than any four-letter word. You can't judge me. Sure, I'm treating people like dirt, and I'm doing whatever I want, and I'm rebellious, and I'm stealing, and I'm doing whatever, but you can't judge me. Well, God can. And he's ready. it says he's ready. That's quite a word. He's ready. He's poised and ready to judge. Now, is he doing that because he wants to be harsh? 
No, again, back to the beginning of the chapter. He set forth the gospel of Christ so that he brings this forward and he says, so that instead of being judged, we can live for the will of God. He's made a way. Somebody says, oh, but just one way. Hey, I'm glad he's made one. He didn't have to do that. He could have just said, you're rebellious. You've rejected me. You're in your sin. You have purchased, warranted for yourself death. That's what sin earns for itself. Sin produces death. I reject you, God. I'm going my own way. And here's God saying, I provided a way for you to be free of that, to walk with me, to have life forever, and live for the will of God. And the will of God is good. The will of God is not Okay, forget all worldly pleasures. One thing about this that should be said. Evil desires and lusts, it says living for that. It doesn't actually say living for pleasure as God would have it. Like, because God, as we talked about in our life group on Thursday, God even uses pleasure forever as an incentive we follow him here we get life forever with him that's good we no tears again no death things that are good god calls us he knows pleasure is pleasurable but not sinful lustful which is all about me and we can live for him so okay we're getting off track you guys it's your fault okay um don't judge me for getting off track, okay? Yeah, <laughs> too late. God is ready to judge, it says. And Peter says in verse 6, this is the purpose of the gospel being proclaimed, that people may face judgment now and live instead for the will of God. Peter's summing up the way of this fallen world. And he's saying, you don't have to continue there. You can accept the judgment now and the will of God and live for him. Okay, so then we get to the verse that we read, or the passage. But the end of all things is near. Now, I see on this, there's only two translations that I know of that add a word that's there in the original. And because it says the end of all things is near, it sounds like already that sounds imminent. It's, it's near. But there's an additional word in the Greek that King James uses, and one other translation uses it too. It says, but. So he says all this stuff before, and then he says, but. You know, you're, you're going to be judged, the will of God, but the end of all things is near. Or some translations or uh, another translation would word it as now the end of all things is near he's there's an urgency in it he's strengthening it saying it's 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 now it's here it's ready he says the end of all things is near peter appeals to his fo- uh, fellow disciples in about 60 AD when he wrote this and to his fellow disciples in every age since in all the way down to us And he's acknowledging this jarring disharmony between the world we live in and in the world we live in and the goodness and holiness and faithfulness of God. 
there's, there's kind of a, there's a disharmony. God seems so good, and judgment is coming, but here he says the end is near, and he's, he's letting there be that, uh, you know that thing when you, you watch some kinds of uh, movies, you'll see a comedy where somebody does something and it's really, it, it's cringy, it's like it's embarrassing and you're feeling the discomfort because they just keep doing everything. I, I know sometimes I'll joke with Sophie and I'll say these things that make me sound really nerdy, which of course is just not true. Um, and I'll say this and Sophie will say to me, you're so sad. <laughs> you know, you're just so sad. This is so cringy. And it's like, here's Peter speaking things that make us feel like the world that is and the world that God promises, there's like a disharmony, a disconnect. It's like we, we have this promise of eternal life and, and walking closely with God. And we do believe for uh, close fellowship with him and so many good things in Christ. But in this world that's still infected with sin, we see... We don't even need to look at the news. We just need to look out the window and we see the effects of it, right? There's just all of this stuff. And Peter here, he's appealing to the people then and to the people now, saying, yes, there's this state, but the end of all things is near. He's trying to comfort, actually, even though, again, back to this thing, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Peter thinks it's a great thing. And he's saying, for all of you who know Christ, this is good news. The end of all things is near. We have a promise of something extraordinary coming when all of those things will be settled. And many have come to the realization that the selfish, lustful, me-centered you know, kind of rebellion-plagued life of the present world is out of sync with the reality of God's nature and will. It is. And he'll judge us according to his standards. We, we know that. That's why it can be a fearful thing. We know he's above us. But wait. Peter says the end of all things is near. He wrote this 2,000 years ago. The end of all things is near. Was he wrong? Was he mistaken? 2,000 years seems like quite a while, right? 2,000 years is a while. In, in his second letter, in chapter 3, verse 8, Peter quotes Psalm 90 and says, With the Lord, a day is as a thousand years. A thousand years as a day. From the time that Christ came and then atoned for our sins on the cross, rose victorious over death and poured out the Holy Spirit on the church, something new came into the world. Something new came into the world to be revealed and experienced. In it. It'll be revealed and experienced in its fullness when Jesus returns. But something new has already begun. So when he says... The end of all things is near, and he was speaking that 2,000 years ago almost. It 
It only means this whole period since Christ came, died on the cross, rose again, ascended to heaven, and poured out his spirit on the church. This whole season is like an epilogue to the book. This whole season is the end. Now, it sounds like he means something pretty imminent. I think in our day, I can say that the end of all things is near, and I believe that it is. And, you know, I know other generations believed it too, but I believe that it is. And I believe that he's got something for us because this new thing came into the world and has spread out. That's the thing that creates this jarring disharmony between the old world, just ruled by sin, and the new world where Christ has his Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We are living between the old and the new. We're new people in the old world. That's what it's like. We're a new breed of people. The Bible even calls us that, a holy nation, a chosen people. There's crisis in the world constantly for Christians because we're looking and saying, it doesn't, it just doesn't, we're, we're never totally at home here. Something doesn't fit. And we're looking forward to the end of all things. We're citizens of a new world and new life, but we're in a world still bound by fallenness and sin and corruption and demonic influences and death, ultimately. Okay, again, I know this sounds like a really encouraging message, but it is. Romans 18 19 to 23. I want to read this for you because I think this says something about who we are in this world. Romans 18, 19 to 23. You've heard this before probably. It says, For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What's that saying? The whole world was corrupted when sin came in through us. And something is not right. It wasn't just inside us. It was in creation itself. But he carries on. He says, For we know that the whole creation groans, and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Something in the earth is groaning. It's like it's not quite how God intended it to be. It's not right. And not only this, Paul says, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption as sons. The redemption of our body. It's like we, we have a longing inside of us and a groaning that says, I'm, I will never be fully at home in this life. Back again to Peter. He says, the end has come near or the end is near. We accept this. We grasp this. We believe this. How many believe it? How many believe the end is near for us? We, it's not hyperbole. We lay hold of the truth of that. Now, the end of all things is near. So what? You think, so what if it is? There's this word in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand or is near. 
Therefore, therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. So what? And then comes in this word, therefore. This is the great word of application. Is this just something for us to believe? Oh, the end is near. The end is near. And we just believe that, but it doesn't touch our lives? No, it does. He says, the end is near. Therefore, you got to do something about it. That's what nothing in the Bible is supposed to be just for us to know. It always translates into life. It always translates into lifestyle, into behavior, into something, some active participation in life. Some active participation. So here, therefore, that's our application word. It signifies there is something to do about what's been presented. If we just keep reading our Bible without doing something about what it says, we'll be as lost as anyone else. Just more knowledgeable. If we read the first six verses of this chapter and keep living that way, it's just words in our head. In fact, I might be worse off because I have to give an account for what I know. I knew that was wrong, God, and I kept doing it. But back to therefore. Peter writes, therefore, in view of what's been said, look at in uh, an example uh, in, if you have your Bible open, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, he says, therefore, again, he says, therefore, I exhort the elders among you. He says, shepherd the flock. Exercise oversight. He, he encouraged them according to the will of God. Therefore, do something about it. So now, he's telling us this word, therefore. So what's the therefore what 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 is that word therefore what do we do about it peter says a number of things and we won't get to it all tonight but i want to cover the first of these the thing that he says we're to do in view of the reality of the end being near is he says be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer We can start there. What are we going to do? The end is near. And then he says, therefore, in light of that, be of sound judgment and sober spirit. Different translations say, be alert and sober. Uh, Another one says, um, be sane and sober. It means keep a clear mind. One says, be self-controlled and uh, sober. Funny, that word... There's actually only one word used in the original language, but in the English translations, most have two words to try and um, get the breadth of what the word means. Be sober in spirit, be serious, one says, and alert. Uh, The message says, stay wide awake in prayer. Don't lose your head. The end is near. Don't lose your head knowing that the end of all things is near. This knowledge is sobering, but it's not depressing. The the news of the end is serious and grave, but because of what it means, it's the opposite of worry, of worrisome. When I think of the end, it's like, yeah, every right will be made, uh, every wrong will be made right. Every pain will be relieved. 
every difficulty, that we, every injustice will be settled. Luke 21.28 says regarding the end of all things, this is Jesus speaking, when these things begin to take place, straighten up, some translations say stand, straighten up, lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. When you see the end of things coming about, and that's not hard to see in the current situation. How many people here have looked at the news, some kind of news, heard some kind of news in the last week? Anybody? Okay. Some of it's scary, isn't it? Some of it's kind of hearing of bombs, rockets being sent, hearing of you know nations with possibly nuclear capability being involved in the conflict. There's, there's things that are... Yeah. But here Jesus said, when you see these things beginning to take place, straighten up, lift up your head, because your redemption draws near. The end of all things is near, and it's not bad news for you and me. If you've received Christ, it's not bad news. If For those who've received Christ, we see the end of all things is near. We need to be sane and sober for the purpose of prayer. Why? A few different things. One, because to keep attentive to God. We need to stay attentive to him in these days so we know what to do. Relationally attentive so that he can comfort, he can encourage, he can love us. Uh, We need his leading. What to do? Growth, knowing his will. We need these things. His perspective, his values. We need to see things from God's perspective. It's a comfort. His power. We need his power in this time for freedom, for wholeness, for uh, overcoming sin, overcoming temptation, overcoming worry. We need it. We need him. So we need a sane, self-controlled, alert mind in this time that knows the end is near so that we'll respond properly in prayer, but also prayer for others. I think this is a key to keep and strengthen others, to pray that God would keep and strengthen others, that God would use us to pray that others would be fruitful in their lives. I asked a question at the start of the year, how many people have never led anyone to Christ? And there were a bunch of hands that went up. And we prayed that in this year, God would use us to lead people over the threshold into the kingdom of God. I want more people. God wants more people. That's why he says, go, preach the gospel to all creation, make disciples of all nations. Go tell them. The gospel now is not like in the old covenant where it was a come and see kind of religion. Like the queen of Sheba came to Solomon to see. Oh, and she went away just breathless at how extraordinary everything was. Now it's a go and tell. It's a go and tell um, uh, life. It's not come and see. It's go and tell. We go out to tell. And how do we, to use a military sort of um, analogy, we soften the ground first with the air assault. We pray. 
We pray that God would soften hearts, prepare hearts. God would prepare us. God would do those things in us. So when we come into a conversation, we'd be ready to answer with the way we need to and have the right attitude the way we need to. And that we would not miss those opportunities when there's someone there and it's like, oh, God, I'm embarrassed. I don't know how to talk to this person. Man, I feel like that all the time. And I don't want to be stuck in that. I want to, God, okay, I'm here. Can you use me? Can you use me to do that? Can you use me to pray with somebody? Can you use me to bless somebody? Can you use me to tell somebody about Jesus? I want to more. And we can pray. We can soften the ground with prayer for others, for conversions, amen, for people who need to know Christ. We can start by, there's an old, it's kind of cliche, but it makes sense. People say, before you tell somebody about Jesus, tell Jesus about somebody. Because then he can start doing things in people's hearts because, you know, we've all met people who, you know, they're, they maybe seem closed. Well, maybe if we had taken some time to pray, maybe something would have happened. Uh, ahead of time and we do that kind of thing so we pray for others to to be converted we pray for others to be convicted that maybe they'd repent everything you would pray for yourself pray for others amen pray in view of the ending or the end coming near part of why i again another reason why i think peter says Therefore, be of sober mind, or be of sound judgment and sober for the purpose of prayer. I think another reason is because of the urgency of it, the high stakes. He's coming back soon, so people need to know. Now's the time. Again, another sort of cliche, but when we get to heaven, there won't be any evangelism. There won't be any sinners. So this is our one chance. This is our chance to pray for the lost, to reach the lost, to go share the gospel in a, in a short while. Uh, like, we'll get to worship for eternity. We won't get to evangelize after we leave here. That makes it really urgent, doesn't it? And if the end of all things is near... There are more people I want to be included in that great harvest. Amen? You know, I was so looking forward to the next piece of this, but as I prepared today, I realized I'm not even going to get to that. So listen, next week, you cannot miss. If you do, I'll be praying for you. (laughs) I'll be praying great favor. (laughs) <laughs> no, next week, I want to, I'm going to just, we read it, so I don't feel like I, this is any spoiler alert. Look at verse 8. And this was the word I felt is the prophetic word for us. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, he says, keep fervent in your love for one another. That's what I was hoping to get to, but um, because we went a little longer in worship, which the band was telling me we had to do, 
<laughs> because with guest speakers the last few weeks, we've cut it a little bit shorter. And uh, so Michael and Nigel were leading the charge to say, no, do all of those songs. And um, I had to do what they said. Uh, <laughs> but let's, let's take a moment right now to pray. And I want you, in light of the urgency of this, the end of all things is near. God, I pray for the weight of that to land in our hearts and our minds, that everything else that's extraneous, that's not necessary, God, sift out. But I pray for your word to land that the end of all things is near therefore be of sound judgment and sober for the purpose of prayer that we would be people that this week God the urgency of your return would not only motivate us but would empower us to pray like we've never prayed before To pray for ourselves um, and to pray in relation to you, God, in our ongoing relationship with you. To pray with a new fervor, a new grace, a new clear-headedness. And I pray as we pray for others, God, that you'd give us grace, you'd give us insight and wisdom. And fire, God, that you'd give us clarity. Holy Spirit, the Bible says you guide us into all the truth. Would you empower us with the truth to pray for people with power, to see results, to see people be freed, to see fruitfulness, to see a touch of God on the lives of people both lost people and saved people, saved people built up and strengthened those that don't know you, convicted and brought to a place that they would know you and then to go on. God, we thank you for giving us a heart for others that would result in prayer. Again, because the end of all things is near. God, bless your people in this room in Jesus' name.